Be seated. If you're new to us this morning, we didn't do that to embarrass you, but we do want you to feel welcome. We have refreshments after the service. We have restrooms downstairs. Uh, always, a, uh, always a wonderful uh, bagels and fruits and coffee, so don't run off. Be our guests, and we would appreciate the privilege of getting to know you better. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, the High Priestly Prayer. And I'm going to read, as we're in our second week, just the first nine verses, though we will look at more. And on the back of your sermon outline, you will see the particular verses I want to give attention to. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So far the reading of God's Word. Those of you who are in the Air Force know the answer to this. When a fighter pilot is chasing his target, and his target is engaged in all kinds of evasive maneuvers trying to escape What does he do? Well, the pilot is equipped with a a computerized radar tracking device. And as he pursues his target, when he has the tracking device in place, he locks on to the target. And once he locks on, well, it's over. He has him. As we study through this high priestly prayer of Jesus, we actually hear him tell us that this is what he does to his people. He gets his assignment from the Father, and then he locks on. And some of you, if you tell your stories, if you have your own testimony, you were pretty good at your evasive maneuvers, right? But as Sheldon Van Auken calls the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven was after you to change the metaphor. Back to locked in. He locked in on you. And you are his. 
Last week we saw that the heart of Jesus is all about the glory of God. Isn't that true? As we read those verses, you can tell the glory of God is the passion of Jesus Christ. But in this passage also, I want you to see that Jesus teaches us three very important things. You see them listed in your sermon outline before you. That Jesus has revealed God to you. That Jesus saved you. And that His redemption is personal and particular. Two important words for you to know. His redemption is personal and particular. And He gives you the knowledge of God. And that knowledge is eternal life. So work through this passage with me, and I want you to see that as Jesus prays, first He reflects on His own work of revelation, of revealing God. You see that down in verse 6, don't you? He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Verse 8, again, he's praying, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, if you skip all the way down to verse 26, again, I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Now, Maybe a question naturally arises. When we think of people coming to God, you know, they say things like, I found the Lord, or I made a decision, or I figured it out. But, you know, Jesus doesn't present it like that here, does he? He says, "Um, I made known your words to them. Why does he emphasize this? And I think you know the answer. The answer is because because he needs to turn the lights on for us. He needs to open our eyes and give us eyes to see or ears to hear. And what Jesus is revealing in this prayer is what we call the special revelation, the doctrine of special revelation. And You've often heard me speak of the truth of general revelation. That is, when you go out to the ocean and you see the power of the ocean or the majesty of the heavens, it tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. And God is revealed in His creation, and and He is revealed in His majesty, power, and glory. But, But if you want to know salvation, you can't figure that out from looking at the ocean or looking at the stars. And what is required is is special revelation from God. And we are taught in the Bible that God specially reveals Himself in His Word. He gives us His written Word, the Bible, which teaches us of the ultimate appearance of the Word, Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. And so, the salvation of God is revealed in the Bible and in Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension for you. And that is the special revelation of God that He's praying about and celebrating in His priestly prayer for His people. Now, 
What is man's problem that he needs this special revelation? And at our men's group on Tuesday night, we had a very potent discussion of man's need. And Warren Christie, as Jim told you earlier, was teaching. And, and he pointed out from Romans chapter 1 that man's problem is that he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And that's from the first chapter of the book of Romans. There is what Warren called an intentional ignorance in everyone. Well, how can you be intentionally ignorant? But that's what it's like. It's like trying to sit on a beach ball in in the water. You're trying to push it down. Because you see, if God is your creator king, then he owns you. And if he is the Lord of all, it restricts what you should do. And now you can no longer be your own boss. But as we talked, we talked about our lust for autonomy. You know what that means? That's just our love of self-rule. And the poets celebrate this, don't they? They say, I will be the captain of my fate and the master of my soul. Right? Right? Good poetry. Bad theology. But that is the intentional ignorance of all fallen humans who wish to be their own boss. And then Warren went on to point out that there's a second, even uh, more um, dangerous lie that we believe. And he says that that lie actually recognizes the existence of God. In In the third chapter of Genesis, when the serpent slithers up to Adam and Eve and whispers to them, What does he say? He says, oh, yes, there is a God, but you can't trust him. And he really doesn't speak the truth. You do much better if you ignore what he says and disobey what he tells you. And Adam thought that was a pretty good deal, didn't he? And so whereas the first deception denies the existence of God... The second deception actually is even worse because it slanders God and denies that He is true. You know, Jesus actually earlier on in in John chapter 8, as He's talking to unbelievers who reject Him, He says in John 8, 43, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Wow. Wow. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I I didn't want to insult you this morning. I'll just quote Jesus here. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He's a liar and the father of lies. But according to the prayer of Jesus that we're studying now, apparently there are people who can bear to hear his word. There are people who receive His Word. There are people who hear Him and believe. Who are they? And Jesus tells us, these are the people whose ears have been unstopped. These are those whose hearts have been changed, who are able to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, of course, the question is, then, is that you? Are you one of the people who actually can bear to hear his word that he's manifested to you? 
Well, only you can answer that, but I want you to be encouraged today, and I'll tell you why you should be encouraged. Because you have actually placed yourself under the hearing of His Word. (laughs) And that is a good thing, because there are millions of people that it would never occur to them to place themselves under the hearing of God's Word. And even if they knew they were invited, they say, thank you very much, but I've got the New York Times to read and face the nation to watch and a golf game to take care of, and, uh, and uh, the gym is calling me. But you, you've placed yourself under the hearing of God's Word. Well done. Praise the Lord. Something good is happening in your life. And Jesus says in John 1726, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And so, part of your life assignment, we give out homework assignment, part of your life assignment every day is to say to Jesus, I want to know you more, right? In your own personal worship every day, I want to know you more. And Lord's Day after Lord's Day, Sunday after Sunday, you're like our brother Elias. He, tell, he tells us when he gets the microphone, he says, I wake up on Sunday morning and I can't wait for my feet to hit the ground so I can be with my brothers and sisters at North Shore Community Church and get to know the Lord even better. And that's for you and that's for me. Jesus reveals God to you. Listen, you don't want to start out at a kindergarten level knowledge of Jesus. We have a lot of new Christians in this church. That's fantastic. Some people among us are just beginning their walk with the Lord in a new and fresh way. What a privilege for us as a church, isn't it? But we don't want you to stay a kindergarten Christian for 20 years. When you're 20 years old in Jesus, we want you to be a 20-year-old. What what about the people who've walked with the Lord for decades already? Should you say, well, thank you very much, but I, I know enough. I've got it all figured out. Why? Thanks, but no thanks. Really? Don't you love that phrase that Jesus says? I will continue to make it known. You never stop growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus ever, ever. He reveals God to you. Make it your ambition to see and savor Jesus more and more. Now, we learn something very important and very beautiful in the second point, and that is that He saved you and that His redemption is personal and particular. And what Jesus affirms in verse 2 and verse 8 and 9 and 37, he says, uh, 6.37, He says, Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. Wow. Then verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So here's Jesus in prayer, affirming the work that God gave him to do, and he's affirming the sovereignty of God in our salvation. And this, I tell you, is one of the most beautiful and attractive doctrines of the Bible. 
If you understand this, it's, it, we're back to the fighter pilot who locks in to his target. At one point, Jesus was given the assignment to go and to get you. He told us about this in, in, Luke, 7, in Luke 5, 17, right? Uh, 15, verses 1 through 7. Luke 15, 1 through 7. That's the, the story of the lost sheep. Do you know that story? And the sheep is lost and wandering. And what does the shepherd do? Does he just cry out, Oh, sheep, come back. How does the parable go? He says that the shepherd goes out and he finds the lost sheep. And then he tells us he picks up the sheep and places him on his shoulder and carries him home to the flock. It is his work, and he saves his sheep. John Newton wrote the hymn we love to sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I was reading some of the Christian blogs this week, uh, Eric Metaxas and uh, Denny Burke, and they're, they're all abuzz about the conversion of a very prominent news commentator uh, named Kirsten Powers, who was, um, she was worked in the, uh, in the Clinton administration for many years. She's a Democrat who was hired by Fox News. In, uh, she's a commentator for Fox News. She's a writer for the Wall Street Journal. She writes for Newsweek. She's written in the Daily Beast. And and um, she tells the story of her recent conversion from atheism to Christianity. And you can listen to it on the Focus on the Family uh, website, but she says, I was not looking to become a Christian. The last thing in the world I wanted to be was a Christian. And she's very open about what happened. Um, she, <laughs> she had a guy, friend who invited her to go to our sister church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. And she said, well, you know, I was curious. I went with him, but I told this guy up front, I would never become a Christian. It's not going to happen. Okay? Now, here's an excerpt of what, the transcript of what she said. Really. I mean, it was just sort of like God invading my life. It was very unwelcome. I didn't like it. I started having a lot of experiences where I felt God was doing things in my life. It was hard to describe, but then I did just have this moment where the scales fell off my eyes. And I was just saying, this is totally true. I don't even have any doubt. Now, here's what she says, just going on. I don't really feel like I had any courage when I became a Christian. I just gave in. It wasn't courageous. I didn't have any choice. I kept trying not to believe, and I just couldn't avoid it. If I could have avoided it, I would have. There's nothing convenient about it in my life. In the world I live in, it's not like the South 
or living somewhere where everybody's a Christian in the world in which I live. What's she talking about? New York media elite, political elite. She says, nobody's a Christian. But God pursued me. Jesus is exalting here in his prayer of this particular work that God gave him to lock onto Kirsten Powers and to you and you and you and you. And we have the doctrine of election. John 17, 2. You gave me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Where does this... Where, where does this begin in the Bible? It doesn't start here. You go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, right? Verse 6. And here's Israel, little Israel, slaves in Egypt, okay? There's the Persians. There's the Babylonians. There are the Romans. There are the Canaanites. And what do we read in Deuteronomy 7, 6? Do you know this verse? For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He chose you. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He locks onto them. Do you see? Oh, some of us are reluctant. We're a little reluctant on this doctrine of election. Why? Because we are so committed to choice. Choice, 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 choice. Option, 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 option. So in the book of Romans, chapter 9, Paul engages in a very intense dialogue with people who wrestle with this doctrine of election. And we read in verse 13, Romans 9, 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This was not a difficult doctrine for the Jews. They understood God's choosing, electing uh, will. They were his chosen people. We, the church, who are engrafted into the covenant of God, engrafted into the people of God, we who are now with Israel in Christ... We should understand the same thing. Only now it's not geopolitical, but it now extends to the whole world. And so we read in the celebration of heaven in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, when heaven is singing, 
They sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. Now listen to this. And by your blood you purchased, you ransomed people for God from, it literally means out of, every nation, language, people, and tribe. And so, from within the nations, all the nations, His people have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb who was slain. Back to the prayer, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Wow. James Packer explains this very well in maybe his greatest essay that he's written Ever. This was written over 50 years ago. He wrote an introduction to the great book by the Puritan John Owen. He wrote a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. And James Packer wrote an introduction to it. I made nine copies. For those of you who wrestle with these doctrines of the sovereignty of God, I, want to, I just want you to pick it up after church today. Just come on up and pick one up and read it. It is thick. It is outstanding, penetrating biblical theology that makes the case of one point, and that one point is this, that God saves sinners. Here's what Packer writes. God, the triune Jehovah, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons working together in sovereign wisdom, power, and love, to achieve the salvation of a chosen people, the Father electing, the Son fulfilling the Father's will by redeeming, the Spirit executing the purpose of the Father and the Son by renewing God, saves. Packer writes, does everything, first to last, that is involved in bringing man from death in sin to life in glory. He plans, achieves, and communicates redemption, calls and keeps, justifies, sanctifies, glorifies, saves. This is humbling, isn't it? Sinners. Packer writes, men as God finds them, guilty, vile, helpless, powerless, unable to lift a finger to do God's will, or improve their spiritual lot, God saves sinners from first to last. Jonah cries out in the belly of the whale. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, he's trapped in the belly of the whale in his rebellion, like Kirsten Powers, who guarantees her boyfriend she will never become a Christian. And Jonah cries out from the belly of the whale, salvation is of the Lord. First to last, past, present, future, to whom be glory forever and ever. Still not convinced? Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, listen to this and highlight it in your own Bible. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so you can say to me, I decided to become a Christian, and I will shake your hand, and I will celebrate that with you. But we know what really happened, don't we? In the words of Charles Wesley, who wrote a hymn that we love to sing in this church, in the, in the third verse, Wesley writes, listen to this, you know it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And the third point is that your knowledge of God that he gives you is eternal life. Verse 2 again, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What happens to you when you come to know God through Jesus Christ? Not just know about him, but you begin that walk of fellowship and intimacy with the Lord. What happens to you? I'll tell you what happens. You have begun to experience eternal life. This is very different from the Greek idea of just a really long time. It's not just a really long time. Eternal life is knowing the Lord, knowing Him. And it teaches us it's not just endless existence. And it's it's wonderful. We sing a song, we'll sing it in just a few minutes, where we say to Jesus, knowing you, it is the greatest thing. You're my all, you're my rest, you're my joy, you're my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. I love you. You see, the thrust at the very end of the prayer, and I put that at the bottom of of the, the Scripture verses, is verse 26. Verse 26, listen to this. Are you with me? I made known revelation. He has revealed to them particular redemption, His people that He has loved. I made known to them your name. And John tells us that in His name we have life. And you have begun eternal life. This is our salvation. Notice that he says, And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And here's the the clincher. Once you know him... The love that God the Father has for the Son, 
Why didn't he just say, and the love he has for those people at the North Shore Community Church? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because there are times when I look at myself when it is easy for me to doubt that God could love me. When I see my pride, when I hear how I talk sometimes to others, when I alone am aware of my thoughts about other people that are dishonoring to God, you don't see them. But I don't hear every word you speak, and I don't know every thought that you have. But I tell you what, there are times when it is reasonable for me to doubt that God could love me. Oh, don't get me wrong. I can consider myself a pretty exceptional, outstanding person. Thank you very much. But then in those quiet moments when the Holy Spirit is merciful and convicts me of my sin, I know that it could be difficult for God to love me. But can I doubt for one second that he loves his son, the one of whom he spoke, this is my beloved son whom I love, listen to him, the one in whom the father delights, How God the Father delights in His Son, His passion for His Son. And the passion that the Son has for the Father, they love each other from all eternity, and they delight in their mutual, exquisite heart for one another. And Jesus says here that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And that is the triumph of the gospel message. It is the love the Father has for Jesus that is now in you, in you, you who belong to Jesus. Never doubt, never doubt that He loves you. Why? Because He loves His own Son, and you by faith are in Jesus. And this is why why you want to know Him more, why you want to grow in Him more, and why you give Him glory from first to last for your salvation. For salvation is of the Lord. Let's rejoice in this. Let's celebrate it. It humbles us and it exalts us and will carry us home to heaven. Let us pray. Bow your heads with me now. Our Father, Jesus says the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. And Father, You have placed us in Your hands. And we pray for anyone here now who has never, never, ever trusted you before, who, said, I, I, who says in their heart, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I have come under the hearing of the gospel, and I believe. And if the scales have fallen off, then today, may they call directly upon you and acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as their Christ and their Savior. For those of us who've walked with you, we thank you now, and we tell you we want to know you more. We want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.